0: Welcome to On Texas Football, Uh, time for the Saturday conversation uh, with Cody Belair. Uh, Cody, uh, you may or may not know him, but he's been at several big time programs behind the scenes uh, for, I guess, since 2018 uh, and now works for On3. And uh, I'm going to introduce you to Cody in this uh, video uh, and explain why I wanted him to come on today. Uh, Cody is a, a player personnel guy. Now he is at on three working in the player personnel scouting department for on three national prior to his time at on three immediately before he was the player personnel, uh, director of player personnel uh, for uh, Texas tech uh, from November of last year until 20 uh, April of this year. So he's familiar with that roster. Uh, He was at Baylor the year before that. uh, And then also Texas A&M, for the two years before that. And then he was an a student assistant in the personnel department at LSU as well. So the last seven, eight years of his life, he's been immersed in college football. I want to talk to him first about tech about uh, Texas tech and what he knows about the red Raiders and what we can expect from them, uh, their strengths and weaknesses overall uh, as he sees them. I, I'm not asking him to give away the farm here. We're, we're, uh, you know, only a couple hours from kickoff and I don't want to uh, see this as being given away anything. Uh, to his former employer. We need to be respectful of that. At the same time, he has a sense uh, for what Tech will do, and I'm going to ask him about that. And then after that, I want to talk to him in general about the recruiting game and what he's seen at his stops along the way, uh, various ones, all with some sort of Texas tie, whether it's LSU, Texas A&M, Baylor, or at Texas Tech. So let's, uh, Cody, first of all, welcome in and thank you for joining us.
1: Bobby, I I really appreciate it, man. I'm really excited about this and Anytime I get the chance to talk football, especially Texas Tech, the last spot I'm at, I am fully on board. So I appreciate okay. you reaching out.
0: Uh, yeah, I'm happy you're, uh, happy you're doing it. Happy you're with on three. Um, so at Texas Tech, uh, Texas is two and one. Texas Tech is two and one. This is a game that, in my opinion, uh, every Texas Tech coach circles, right? No it's, question. it's just like it, it, it has to be because uh, if you beat Texas, all of a sudden you have immediate recruiting I don't want to say momentum as much as validity. Absolutely. Credibility, right. 100%. So now all of a sudden you can go and talk to a guy in Dallas and recruit uh, over Texas, possibly maybe still not be able to beat Texas on guys, but it puts you in the same category as the Oklahoma States of the world. Right. Absolutely. Where you can go be in that category. What What are you thinking, uh, Joey McGar's thinking about this week as he heads into uh, this game and where do you think the Longhorns are weak? Longhorns are strong. That sort of thing.
1: Yeah. So to answer your first point, uh, Joey, Coach McGuire is probably, he understands just like you said, right? This is the game that puts this team on notice. Everyone right now is saying, you know, leading up, Joey came in in November, right? So leading up to now, before the games even started, he's been building recruiting momentum He's getting the Lubbock fan base. Everyone is extremely gassed up about Texas Tech, Joey McGuire, and the staff, right? This, I think, is the first real test. You're at home against a Big 12 opponent. I think he understands, and that entire, really that entire city understands what this game means, which is, this is the introduction. This is, the, this is where the party gets started. If they come out And they make this game even close. They don't have to win necessarily. But I think if you keep this team close, especially after seeing what Texas was able to do against Alabama, and you show that you can run on the same field as those guys, you can sell it to every single kid that you're talking to. And you can say, hey, guys, you saw what we put out there. Imagine if you put on the red and black and you get to walk out that tunnel and you get to be on the field with those guys. I think they all understand in that building what this game means. And it's not necessarily about winning, but it's about proving to Lubbock, the Big 12, the NCAA, every kid in America that's watching him, that they deserve to be on the same field. Speaking with Cody Belair, uh, on three national
0: uh, recruiting scout, uh, evaluates players, uh, but he also, his last stop before on three was at Texas Tech. Uh, Cody, strengths strength and weaknesses as you see Texas Tech, strength and weaknesses as you see Texas. Sure.
1: Um, so we'll start with Texas Tech. Offensively, I think the skill guys at Texas Tech are as good as almost anyone in the Big 12. I think you have to start with the running backs, uh, Sir Roderick and Taj Brooks. That duo in itself uh, is probably at the top of, I would say, a lot of conferences in terms of duos. The issue, I would say, offensively with Texas Tech and what they're going to see against Texas the offensive line has to provide time, not only for Donovan Smith, but they have to be able to create and create push up front to allow Sir Roderick and Taj to move the ball. Now, Sir Roderick and Taj, right, To uh, that duo, that running back duo, neither of them I would consider juiced up guys, guys that would, that someone would call electric. I would say they're more in between the tackle, bruiser type runners. So, they're not going to create a lot of their own yards. A lot of their yards are going to be created via uh, blocking and the offensive line doing their job, essentially, right? And so I would say that offensive front is probably Texas Tech's weakest part on the offense, and you say, well, Texas Tech's got a backup quarterback. How is that not the weakest point? Donovan Smith started damn near almost every game last year, so he's coming in as an experienced starter Now granted, Tyler Shuck, obviously extremely talented player, tough way to, two collarbones back-to-back seasons, that's tough, but Texas Tech has a quarterback that has played some quality games, and he's coming in, this isn't like he's scared coming into a Texas team that he's, you know, oh, deer in the headlights, first start against a Big 12 team, that's not the case. Uh, He's coming in as an experienced starter, and I think The Maybe the group to watch, I would say, with this game, Texas Tech offensively, maybe the tight end group. That's a really strong group in that room. Baylor Cup coming in from Texas A&M. Mason Tharps, uh, a super lengthy weapon on the offense. Henry Teeter can run block as good as any of them. That group could see some targets, and I'm curious to see how Kitley uses uh, uses those guys in the passing game Texas Tech defensively, however, this is where I see issues coming for the Red Raiders because Texas offensively matches up extremely well, I would say, against Texas Tech. Defensive line for Texas Tech, right? Solid rotation group, premier edge rusher and Tyree Wilson, right? I believe that might be the matchup of the day. Tyree Wilson versus Kelvin Banks is going to be a phenomenal watch, even for the casual fan. If you're like, hey, what do two draft picks look like going against each other? That's it. That's going to be a premier watch. I think for me as a fan, if I'm just watching the game, that's the one I'm going to watch all day. I will say I think Tech defensively is going to be in for a tough one because Texas runs the ball so well. You have to stop B. John Robinson, which means you have to commit bodies to the box. The issue is for Texas Tech, they don't have a ton of speed at corner. They have a bunch of long corners, right? Malik Dunlap, Rashad Williams. Those are two long physical corners. You're going to ask them to stop Xavier Worthy outside and Jordan Whittington in the slot. I don't know how that's going to work if you're committing seven guys to the box minimum. You're leaving those guys on an island with guys on Texas's offense that can really get in and out of their breaks and get over the top. I think that's going to be, I think that's going to be the one where I'm not sure how Texas Tech and Coach DeRouder go about defending this Texas offense. Even with Hudson Carter quarterback or Quinn or whoever it is that ends up being the starter. I think the issue is going to be how do you stop the skill guys of Texas's offense and still commit seven, eight bodies in the box? I don't know how you do it.
0: Yeah, I well,
1: they're they're gonna
0: have to at some level hope that Hudson Card doesn't hit the deep ball. He hasn't exactly. done it yet this year, right? Yep. Um, Quinn Ewers makes this a different game. Uh, I think we would all agree with that, and, and totally. it's, it makes Texas a different offense. It makes just about anybody a different offense, probably. True. <laughs> but uh, talk a little bit about Texas and what you've seen thus far this year from them, their strengths and weaknesses. You mentioned the run game with Bijan yep. uh, and some talent outside. Uh, they're playing better defense, I think, Absolutely. Uh, but as a
1: third party observer, what do you see, Cody? So for me, the big question I even had going into the year, I think was the offensive line with Texas, right? They're starting three freshmen, especially with the injury to the previous starter. I'm not sure their name. I apologize, but you know, you're going into week one, three freshman offensive starters along the offensive line. And you say, oh, they're going to get smoked, especially against that Alabama front. I mean, I was probably, you could ask anybody that I talked to, I was pounding the drum that Bama would smoke that Texas team. I didn't think it would even be close. But I think the MVP of that offensive unit right now is Kelvin Banks, and I don't think it's close. He put Will Anderson, he borderline clamped Will Anderson in uh, week two. And I think he's done a good job not only in pass pro, but in the run game, he's moving bodies. And that's something Cole Hudson I think anybody would have told you as an evaluator watching Cole Hudson's tape, that individual can move people off the ball in the run game, but he's held his own as well as a pass protector. And I would say that offensive line unit's been the one that surprised me the most in terms of like, man, didn't really think they would be as strong as they should. They're going to have growing pains. They got a bunch of young kids playing that position, but I mean, those guys are holding their own right now. And I, I think they have a good chance to, continue this offensive momentum especially if they get Quinn Ewers back in the middle of the season or potentially this week they're going to keep climbing and they're going to keep escalating in terms of a unit but you know the usual suspect Bijan's still that guy offensively that's still how the offense has to move if Bijan Robinson's not toting the rock and he's not able to have four and a half yards a clip every time he holds the ball that offense is going to struggle but so far so good I mean Bijan's doing what he's supposed to do And I think the big factor here, just kind of like I was mentioning with Texas Tech, and this is a matchup I wanted to talk about specifically, Jatavian Sanders. I don't know what Texas Tech does in terms of how you game plan to cover Jatavian Sanders. Because let's say Texas Tech commits bodies to the box, right? They're going to have to put a bigger body on Jatavian Sanders. now. Texas Tech does have a, a, I believe one of the most athletic players on this Texas Tech defense is Kosai Eldridge. He's their, like, weak side backer. Kosai can run with Jatavian Sanders. However, Kosai is about six foot even. If they play the big man game and Jatavian's able to get on top of him and just play vertical and dunk on him, that's going to be a mismatch. Now, if Texas Tech decides, well, we'll run with our star, we'll have Muddy, Muddy Waters or Marquise Waters go cover him, He's a safety, he's a safety linebacker hybrid, right? He's going to be, I would bet their best bet to defend Jatavian, but Jatavian's so athletic and he's so physical. I don't, I would assume Hudson Card or whoever's the quarterback at Texas this week, they're going to try and plan a mismatch against this Texas Tech defense and utilize Jatavian in the passing game maybe more than we've seen him in even the past two, three weeks. Um, But defensively for Texas, I actually really like this group as a whole is experienced. I think they run to the ball well. They're very instinctive. Defensively up front, they have a good amount of depth. They have a bunch of rotational players that I think can cause problems for this Texas Tech front. The thing that I'm worried about maybe if I had to pick up something for Texas's defense would be how they handle the speed inside. I think someone like Miles Price for Texas Tech could give this team fits because I don't know if I see a defender on Texas's team that can really hang with him in terms of getting in and out of his breaks. And, you know, Zach Kelly will use Miles Price effectively. And I think he knows that Miles Price is the juice guy, right? Like I was talking about with Sir Roderick and Todd Brooks, like neither of those guys out of the backfield are real spark plugs. But Miles Price is the guy, if you need to add a jolt to the offense, that's who they're going to give it to so i'm curious i don't think this texas defense has a ton of speed so i'm curious to see how they match up against miles price that would say i was really i would say that's maybe their only weakness in terms of the defensive side of the ball they don't really have a lot of guys that can get sideline to sideline with ease especially in the middle of the field like a linebacker i just don't see they have anybody that can get to the flat and get to the ball quickly so i'm curious to see how they defend this Texas Tech offense.
0: Yeah, I think that every Tech has historically given Texas fits. I mean, let's right. just be honest. Uh, they score a lot of points against Texas uh, because it's it's a style of offense, uh, especially this is a new one, a little bit of a version of the old one, the Mike Leach and right. Chris Kingsbury type offenses. Uh, so it's, it's a version of it. And, you know, Texas doesn't necessarily prepare for it every single week. Uh, and so that'll be one thing to watch. Uh, one correction, you said three freshmen. Uh, There are three young guys starting for the first time ever. Uh, Two of them are freshmen. You mentioned Banks and Cole Hudson. It was interesting that you mentioned Cole Hudson as a recruit. I think that was a good call by whoever uh, decided to offer him at Texas or wherever uh, because he's played outstanding as a true freshman. Uh, And then they also have a sophomore, a true sophomore named Hayden Connor, that starts at right guard that replaced Junior
1: Anglau. Yes, Katie Katie Taylor, by the way.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. He and Bryce Foster were on the same high school line. That's yes, they were pretty pretty strong uh, group. Hey, um, so so let's talk about this a little bit. I think that's enough. I want to I want to go move on from the 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 Texas Texas Tech game. Sure. Uh, You know you were at LSU as a student assistant, A and M in the recruiting office for the Aggies, Baylor, then Texas Tech.
1: Um, Did I get everybody right there? Is that everybody? Uh in between texas tech and baylor i was at lsu as the assistant director over there
0: okay got it so plenty of places um t- tell us about you know which each of those places you thought did great jobs and, and what they did great jobs at because sure. you all, I, i've been at, at different places myself and you always say well they did a really good job at this or they did a really good job at this it's not so much dinging or, or saying these right. other people did a bad job yeah
1: who get it done. So I'll start from the top. Then I would say my first foray into LSU or excuse me, into recruiting and evaluation in general was at LSU when I was a student assistant um, over there. The GM at the time was Austin Thomas. And he was, you know, he's very much celebrated and he's has a high prestige in the scouting and evaluation world. And I believe when he was hired at the time at LSU, he may have been the first GM hired in the Southeastern Conference, maybe the second ever in college football. So he's my true mentor, right? He's the one that got me in the game. And I would say from an evaluation film breakdown standpoint, that's where I learned the craft. And I give all the credit to Austin Thomas and Derek Miller and all the guys that took me under their wings in that building. To teach me how to be an evaluator So I will always give credit to those guys In terms of like hey How did you learn how to scout and watch film It's those two No question Um, And then when I went to Texas A&M in 2018-19 I was able to see Jimbo Fisher And I thought Jimbo In the way he operated He was I tell this to everybody He's so good at flipping the switch And when I say that Right He understands when to turn on being a head coach, and he's able to turn on when to be a recruiter. I thought Jimbo, out of the coaches I've worked for, Les Miles, Coach Ogeron, Dave Aranda, Jimbo Fisher, Joey McGuire, he was the best at being able to do both at an extremely high level. Extremely high level. Jimbo could go from cooking burgers in the backyard to tearing apart a quarterback on the practice field in a second. Phenomenal job at that Um, And then I went to Baylor And I got to see Coach Aranda again He was a DC at LSU When I was there And then when you took the job at uh, Baylor I got to reunite with him And that was the thing I think I was the most excited part I was the most excited for Because I knew the type of person Coach Aranda was And you could see that at LSU And you know I worked with a lot of good staffs And there's a lot of great people on it Baylor and I tell this to everybody too, Baylor may have had the best group of people I've ever been around. You would walk in every day to every single office. It's always good morning. It's always, how are you doing? It's always, how's your family? How's your girlfriend doing? Have you been able to see her this week? Oh, that's cool. Like That building operated more like a family than probably any other building I'd been around at that point. And that's a testament to Coach Aranda because you even go into their. You go into a staff meeting with Coach Aranda, you would think. So let me explain it, right? So you go in the team room, usually a meeting, and the head coach is standing at the front and he's kind of telling everybody, like, this is what we're going to do. This is how we're going to do it. Da-da-da-da. Coach Aranda would start a meeting and be like, hey guys, we got practice. Any thoughts? Running backs coach, how do you want to go about this? Outside backers, how do you think you want to do this? Yeah, we can manipulate it. That's totally fine. That's how, because he, he doesn't want to be a dictator. He doesn't want to call it just to call it. He wants to ask people and be like, hey, do you think this was an effective way to do this? Yes, cool, we'll keep doing it. No, let's change it. Let's figure it out. He was so good about relationships and letting people be themselves. I haven't, I hadn't seen that anywhere I'd been ever. And Coach Aranda is a big proponent of that. Um, then I got back to LSU with uh, Coach Orgeron, and I would say in terms of a recruiter and talking to kids and their families, he's probably the best I've ever been around. We had a thing called Power Hour, which I'm sure some people have heard of or anything like that, right? So we're sitting in the staff room and Coach O is sitting at the end of the table, right? And what we're doing is we're all in a frenzy getting board tags off the wall, we got names. You're calling kids. You essentially just have an hour of strictly recruiting. And basically, you're getting kids on the phone, and you're saying, Coach O, this is a ex-kid from New Orleans, whatever. All you have to do to tell Coach O is you show him the board tag. He'll look at it, and he'll say, got it. Hand him the phone, and he be like, hey, blah, blah, from wherever. Oh, miss whoever. Like, oh, did you guys make gumbo this morning? Oh, man, that sounds so great. Can't wait to see you guys, whatever. How's your uncle doing? Is he still working at wherever? Incredible. Every single kid, he could do that and he would miss a beat. No mess ups ever. So his ability to genuinely connect with these families and understand what they're going through, understand what they're doing day in and day out in terms of like what they're working on, what's going on in their life, if they've been sick or this and that, untouchable. He was incredible. And then I would say to Joey, Joey, if you are in player personnel you could not build a better job and i think this is pretty public now in terms of the way we operated so when joey mcguire got hired his first two hires were james blanchard and myself james was the director of player personnel i was the director of scouting and joey basically gave us full reign like hey guys If you find someone that you think is worth offering, pull the trigger, do it. I don't have to watch him. Nobody else has to watch him. Go about it as you want to go about it. And for a personnel guy, you're like, do what? Like you're good with me offering whoever. And he's like, absolutely. I brought you in here for a reason, like do your job. So you're like, okay, you finally get to, for me, it was you finally kind of had the full staff hired, right? You're getting into spring ball. And once the spring starts, things are kind of more scheduled out. Coaches have certain time where it's dedicated to recruiting. You got time dedicated to coaching. You got time dedicated to watching film, whatever. And still, Joey McGuire would basically say, hey, guys, the personnel staff's going to offer who they think is worthy of offering. If you have a problem, we'll sit down and we'll talk about it. We'll watch the film. We'll go over it. But there's a reason those guys are in that room. And there's a reason that personnel staff is doing what they do, is because I trust them. And I've never had that much trust put in by the head coach of all people than Joey McGuire. Joey McGuire trusts your, his staff to do their job. There's a reason those people are there. And for a personnel guy who loves watching film, has been doing it for however long, and every personnel guy knows, like, hey, man, I watched this awesome kid today. I can't wait to get him offered. Sometimes that process takes three weeks at certain schools I've been to. I could watch a kid at five in the afternoon, get his phone number by six, offer him by six thirty. And Joey McGuire like, "Great job, cool, next guy, let's keep going." And it was phenomenal as a personnel guy. That was a dream world with Joey. So, well, I
0: think I think it's interesting because it it just shows that there are different ways to skin the cat, oh, right? I mean, you have true. some that that uh, want that uh, totalitarian ability. Uh, yeah. And then you have some that are want to be more um collaborative, I guess is the best word in, in someone like Dave Aranda, or even uh more uh, uh I don't know what the right word is for Joey McGuire, but maybe uh more not hands off, but mm-hmm. more uh designated you the role of that altogether. Absolutely. Um yep. and so those are all different ones. Uh were there LSU and AM his of those four, LSU and AM historically recruited a higher level than either Baylor or Texas tech. Yep. Um, and so I think you're probably dealing with different apparatus. Uh, apparati, I guess, is the, the plural of that um, particular strengths in that regard between those two programs, because if you're looking at it from a Texas standpoint, and this is a Texas based uh, broadcast sure. on, on Texas football with inside Texas.com um, Cody, those are the two that they're probably wanting to emulate more. Or uh or have their own version of, right? Mm-hmm. So what what's the difference between an LSU and an AM uh and a Baylor and Texas Tech in that regard? Sure. Like is it you have to be more judicious with offers? Um, you know, what what are the thought pro because you're you're also more likely to pick up quick commitments from
1: guys if right. you offer broader. What what are your thoughts? So I'll I'll break it. I'll go into like two sectors of this, right? So I would say first, in terms of like philosophy, like you, you you nailed it on the head. If you are at LSU and you offer a kid from the state of Louisiana, they want to go there. They've, it's the premier school in the state. They send it's NFLSU, right? They send guys to the league every single year. They contend for national titles. Literally, the last three guys to be the head coach at LSU have all won national titles. All three of them. And the deal is you have to operate at LSU, at Texas A&M. If you offer in-state, you're banking that that kid, if he pulls the trigger, you're accepting his commitment. So you have to be strategic in terms of pulling the trigger, in terms of offering. But also understanding that, hey, if this kid calls us in a week, we're taking it. If he calls us in four months, we're taking it. You can't you can't mess up within the fence, right? You build the fence within the state. You don't want anybody destroying that fence. Or you don't want anybody within that fence to feel like they're being hurt or attacked and being duped, if you will. And I think that plays for Texas A&M as well, just as much as it does for LSU. There's kids now, I mean, to me, this is the craziest part of Texas and Texas A&M, right? Being in this game for however long, right? You would say the same. We have kids now that are being recruited that weren't even alive when Vince Young ran into the corner and won that national title. So they're growing up with, hey, I know Texas A&M to be one of the best teams in the country, if not the best team in the state of Texas. And I'm not going to have Texas people yell at me for that. That's just in the last 10 years, if you look at it, that's what the records say. And so you have, you have kids that are, if they see a Texas A&M offer come their way, they think they just got offered by the best school in the state. And so they're willing to pull the trigger. So A&M In Texas, alike have to navigate the text. uh, Excuse me, they have to navigate the state with the thought that, hey, if we pull the trigger and a kid wants to come in the boat, we have to take it. So it's tougher because if you're Texas Tech and if you're Baylor, if you offer a kid in the state of Texas, you're basically putting a red target straight on your back because now you're saying to all the schools in the world, if not the two big dogs in your own state, right? A&M and Texas, if you're those two schools, you're basically saying, hey guys, this kid we offered, we think is worthy of playing power five football. And I can tell you from experience at LSU, I mean, even when I started as a student assistant there, which was 2015, we literally had a report called the offer report every single week. Man, back then we didn't have all the apps and the technology that we had now, but we had to manually go through Twitter basically and search Texas A&M offer, Texas offer, Miami offer, Clemson offer, Florida offer. And you would keep track of every kid that these blue blood schools would offer. And now with like all of these certain apps and all these companies that do this for you, there's not a single kid that gets offered by a Baylor or a Texas that the University of Texas and Texas A&M doesn't know about. That doesn't happen. And I can guarantee you they watched that film. So the hard part, I would say, is the big difference between the big boys of A&M, LSU, Texas, and, you know, historically not as big boy Baylor and Texas Tech. Baylor and Texas Tech are fully aware if they're offering a kid, the big boys are watching. They know that's how it works. In Texas and LSU and AM, and m the big boys, they understand too, hey, if we offer this kid, there's a good chance that kid's going to hop in the boat and then they're playing a numbers game. So I think Texas Tech and Baylor, they can be more, uh, what's the right word? They can be a little more like okay with throwing offers out there because they know if they identify guys with elite talent, the big boys should find them. So they have to cast a wider net. That's probably the better way to put it. They have to cast a wider net at those smaller schools. Um, Let me, let me ask you this, Cody, let me ask you this. So
0: just taking you down this road, Mm -hmm. uh, who are some guys that like as an assistant um, or a personnel guy that you advocated for maybe at one of those bigger places, Mm -hmm. they, because this, this happens um, you advocated for, but didn't get an offer. And they ended up going somewhere else and doing really well. There, um, you have a couple of those stories?
1: Absolutely. Um, the one that comes to mind immediately, and I think anybody that watches this that knows me, they're immediately going to text me after this and tell me, they're like, of course you're going to bring him up. Will, Levis. Oh, Will the quarterback. Levis. oh, my God. I was on the Will Levis train. I was probably like, this was the, so when you're first starting in LSU football, right, as a player personnel guy you're learning how to cut film, you're learning all this and that, and you're learning evaluation. I'm like two years in at this point. And so I'm getting confident. I feel good about my evaluation skills and you're starting to branch out a little bit. And the thing that I always call them, I always call them my babies, right? So as a student assistant, you always find these guys because you know as a student assistant, it's tough because even as like a full-time director or player personnel, at most schools, your guys or your babies that you find you always want them to get offered you always want them to sign with you the actuality and like probability of that happening is very low imagine as a student you're like there's no chance like this team my school is gonna like sign this kid that i love and fell in love with i remember basically inviting will levis to camp after his junior year he's from connecticut so i think he's at xavier And so I, he, he played well and I watched his film, you know, we were just looking for a quarterback at the time. And I basically, I'm pretty sure this was illegal back then. I could not DM a kid and basically just be like, Hey man, like want you to come down to camp. We watched your film, whatever. And back then I think he only had one offer at the time. It might've been like Yale or Harvard or Columbia And I sent him a camp invite and I was basically peppering him from March, April, June, just being like, Hey man, come down to camp, whatever. And his family was so sweet. And his mom, Miss Beth was like, Hey, you know, we haven't received an offer from you guys. And Louisiana is a little far away for us from Connecticut. So we'll probably make stops at North Carolina, Syracuse schools that are closer to us. And I messaged Will, will and I was like, "Look, dude, I know you're not. If you don't come to LSU, that's fine. I get it. I totally understand. I'm telling you right now, you're gonna get offered by every single school that you camp at." And I remember, as the first week of June goes by, he goes North Carolina, boom, offer. Goes to Syracuse, boom, offer. And so I'm his biggest cheerleader, basically. At this point, he ends up signing up Penn State. Things don't go well, but that was probably the first kid where I like stood on the table felt like hey this kid's got it and of course now it works out he goes to kentucky becomes a starter he's getting like first round draft buzz like that's the first kid where i really was like oh my god i think i'm actually kind of okay at this and it's like turned out well and worked out now on the other side of that i'll throw you a bone on because everybody wants to hype up their biggest hits right everybody under the sun Wants to be like, oh, I told you Will Levis was going to be a baller, and then it happens. Um, So another kid came to LSU camp when I was, I think it was my second year. It might have been 2016, maybe 2015. I'm not sure how old he was. But this kid from Jennings, Louisiana, he was a running back. He comes, we already had Clyde Edwards-Hilaire committed. And this kid from Jennings, probably 5'11", 200 pounds, I'm standing at the end of the 40 yard dash at camp, and I got the stopwatch in my hand, and I'm like, okay. And this kid shoots out, and I look at my watch, and it was 439. And I was like, oh my Lord, I haven't hit one of those before. And then make him run it again, standing there, 440. And I was like, oh my God, this kid is rolling. And then I watched the film back, and I kept telling myself, I was like, man, I just, we already have a, Shiftier back. I don't know. I'm probably good. I think we can pass on him. I know he ran fast, but we can pass on him. He'll be fine. Like, I'm not. It's whatever. We have Clyde. We'll be okay. That kid was Travis Etienne, and he ended up doing uh pretty good things at Clemson. Becomes a first round pick. And you're like, okay, maybe I learned a little something on that one. You pretty much you need to value the elite traits. When guys are elite at certain things, like speed and all that stuff, and his body type you take those kids, especially from in-state, you take those kids. And so is, you know, that's both sides of the coin, right? Sometimes you paralyze yourself and you over-evaluate. Sometimes you feel good and you want to take a chance and it works out. So those yeah, are the few. I, I think
0: in a state like Louisiana where it's such a talent-rich state too, and, and LSU is the, it is, I don't want to say it's the only game in town, but it's close. Uh, if, yeah. if you want to play at the major college level, it is. Absolutely, um, and so and you've got 60, 70 D one kids coming out of that state every year, yep. and, and you you've got to be the odds on favorite at least of ten of the top twenty every time.
1: Oh, absolutely, um, it's probably higher than that.
0: Yeah, um, and so it's <laughs> interesting. And you had a you had a re- with both Les Miles and ron They're both really good recruiters historically. Yep. Uh, so you, you're you're adding on top of that. So uh, it's very interesting uh, in the state of Texas. Uh, any of, any of the guys that signed with Texas last year? that you got a chance to see that you really liked, that that you thought Texas made a good call on?
1: Yeah, let me take a look just so I can refresh my memory, if you don't mind. Yeah, no, go for it. From the 22 class you're saying? Yeah, or the 23 that you really liked. Ooh, okay. So 22, I was a big, I believe we official, I think we had uh, DJ Campbell and Kelvin Banks come on official visits. And I think NATO Umozulu, I think we had all three of those guys come on campus was a big fan of those three in particular because, and I think as you see now with LSU and their offensive front, they need some help. So we always told ourselves like, oh my God, Will Campbell with Emory Jones combined with any one of those three guys, we probably have the best offensive line group in the country. And then of course, all three of them end up going to the same school. And we were like, oh my God, Texas immediately has probably the best offensive line group in the country and it's not even a question. I think everyone in, in America would agree that was the best offensive line class anybody's pulled in probably the last maybe four or five years. That group was extremely loaded. Um, I also, you know, they took Jamon Tapp out of Louisiana, right? I remember Jamon Tapp very well. Jure Bledsoe, when we were at Baylor, he's from, I believe, Marlin, which is like just down the road from Waco. I think Baylor, we even might've been his first offer coming out and he's one of the more athletic big men I have ever seen strictly from a like hey how long has that kid been playing like two years oh he's gonna be a freak like Jare Bledsoe is incredible um man I remember seeing Jaden Blue as a true freshman um against I think he was playing like JV comp at Texas A&M and we tried to get him to camp immediately because he was so blistering fast And on tape, I mean, he's smoking kids by like 40, 50 yards on like 65-yard touchdown runs. And he's blowing by guys. He was fantastic. I was a big fan of his. Um, Who else down this list? God, the fun part of doing this for so long is you look at all these names and you're just like, oh, my gosh. I am. I think I'm getting old. I think that's what's happening.
0: You said something that was interesting to me. Sure. You said you watched Jaden Blue against JV competition. Is that something that coaches are doing nowadays, trying to find guys
1: on JV film on Huddle? So I would say when they're young, young, like when these guys are like freshmen, and sometimes that's the only competition they're like allowed to play in, I would say sparingly, right? That's what made Jaden Blue so – that's why I like Jaden Blue stuck because I remember when we were watching – we probably – even better, we were probably watching somebody else or a coach gave a tip and a coach was like, hey, man, y'all should watch my run. I know y'all are watching whoever at receiver, but y'all need to watch the running back on JV. He's got a highlight. Just watch him. And, you know, for us, like, students or whatever, you know, you're like, I mean, sure. It, it takes two minutes, right? I can watch a huddle in two seconds. And you turn on, like, it. that's the beauty of it. You start doing it for so X amount of time. It takes less and less plays to sort of light the, put the light bulb in your head where you're like, whoa, that guy's a little different. I remember Jaden Blue's like three clips of a freshman highlight. And you were like, oh, okay. He runs a little different than some of these other guys. He runs really runs a little different. And uh, yeah, I would say it's not a normality that coaches are watching JV film or personnel guys are watching JV film. There's a couple in a blue moon where you're like, ah, sure, I'll watch it. Got but it. Well, I, I was you. just
0: wondering how far down it went. Yeah, for know? sure. Um, if that had changed, because that hadn't that that that's that would be a new trend if it were the case. Absolutely. Obviously it's not Cody uh, talking to Cody Belair, uh, the on three uh, national scout uh, lives in Houston uh, now with his girlfriend, uh, has gone away from the coaching uh, uh, dealing and now working in the media. Uh, Cody, uh, what do you do exactly for on three? Give people an understanding of what how you participate in the overall uh, uh business at on 3.
1: Yeah, sure. So basically, you know, my supervisor is uh Charles Power, right? He's the head of our rankings and scouting and evaluation and then above us we have Luke Stampini who Luke was somebody that I really talked to about. You know, I got on the phone with him when I took this job and Luke was a big proponent of like, "Hey man, we want to bring you in here to do what you do." And the thing I love more than anything, probably in football, and the reason I stayed in it so long and fell in love with it, is scouting and evaluation and the team building process and the idea of finding players, projecting them to college and saying like, hey, I watched this kid as a junior in high school, as a senior in high school, and I think he has the capability of being XYZ, right? That's the thing that I love the most because it's it's an art, right? It's not a science. If it was a science, everyone would just plug in the algorithm, shoot an offer and just figure it out and just make it work, right? So the beauty of this evaluation scouting, whatever, it's I can view it completely different than Bobby can view it. And Bobby could tell me I'm dead wrong and I could tell him, oh, I think you're dead wrong and you have no clue what you're looking at. And Bobby gets to tell me in a year, and be like, hey, man, remember when I told you that kid was going to be good? And then I could do it to a completely different kid a year later and be able to jump on Bobby and do the exact same thing. That's what I love about this, because no one's 100% right, no one's 100% wrong, and that's the fun of it. But for what I do here is, or excuse me, when I was working for teams, I get to do that part of it, but you also have to deal with transcripts. You also have to take kids around on visits and you have to go do the photo shoots and all that stuff. And some people love that. I'm not really one of those people. (laughs) Like, I'm just not a big, yeah, let's go run around, do the whole recruiting thing. Let's go see the bookstore. Let's go see this and that. Like, I just want to watch ball. I want to rank guys. I want to write reports. I want to build a team. That's what I want to do. So when on three and I talked to Luke Stampini and Charles Power and those guys that are running this show, basically they're like, yeah, dude, you, you can do all that stuff you like and you don't have to do the other stuff. You can still watch all the film you want. You can write all the reports you want. You can make all the rankings you want. You can set the board how you want to set it. It's just on a bigger scale. And for someone like me that loves the evaluation and writing reports and all that stuff, It couldn't have been a more perfect job. And that was kind of what I was telling you earlier, Bobby. You're like, if you're a personnel guy that's working for a team, Texas Tech and Joey McGuire and the operation they had was phenomenal. Except this job at ON3 and being able to do the evaluation scouting, all that stuff, it was a more perfect job that I didn't even think really existed. And so when they approached me with the opportunity, I, I couldn't pass it up. Plus, being able to work in Houston, I was like, oh, gosh, I, I mean, where do I sign? I think I told Luke that directly. I was like, literally send it right now and I'll sign it. Got and it. And so, yeah. Well, I, I, was, I think I think
0: it's interesting because I think the, the rankings uh, at On3 are are among the industry's best, if not the best. And that one of the reasons is because of the resources uh, On3 puts towards it. And sure. One of those. Let me ask you this. It's and very kind here. of you, by the way. <laughs> yeah, this is the Saturday conversation uh, with uh, Cody Belair of on, and we're on on-text football. Uh, I would be remiss if I didn't ask two final questions here. Yeah. Transfer portal, NIL. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Oof. Yeah. Those are those two things. One of them could change the game altogether. Two of them combined have really changed it fundamentally. Yeah. Um.
1: What are your thoughts on those two? So, and to your point, right, this is actually phenomenal that you asked that, which that's why you're a pro. That's why you do this. It's a phenomenal question because it kind of goes back to like, you're starting to see more personnel people in college football get away from college football. And those are two of probably the biggest driving factors of that. Because I'll give you a for example. Speaking of NIL, okay, so I have a good friend of mine that works at a school, and he mentioned that he picked him up for, he picked up a recruit from the airport, and usually this is the beginning of a visit, right? You're picking up a kid from an an OV, you're about to have a full weekend, 48 hours with this person and their family, and the first thing you do is you pick him up from the airport, and you're about to bring him to a hotel. And usually you kind of talk about, this is the itinerary. This is what we're going to do during the weekend. We're going to go see this. We're going to go see that. We're going to have a great time. We're really excited about it, whatever. The f- so my buddy picks this person up from the airport. They get in the car, turns the car on, and is like, hey, man, excited to have you in whatever town we're in. What are you looking forward to? The first thing out of the kid's mouth is like, yeah, I can't wait for the NIL presentation. And so he's like, I mean, yeah, it should be good. But like, you've never been in this city before. Aren't you excited to kind of see like, you know, what we have to offer, whatever? And he's like, I mean, yeah, but the school I just visited is promising me X amount of dollars in NIL. So I'm really excited to see what you guys say. And that's that's the visit. Like, that's what the kid's looking forward to. That's what the family's looking forward to. So. For me, it's hard because in the recruiting world, personnel world, NIL has become a thing that's borderline just the focal point of the recruiting process. That's what a lot of these families and these kids are focusing on, which on the other side of it, yeah, as you should. If you're a recruit, get as much guaranteed money as you can. Football's not forever. The reason they're going to play college football, I would assume for most of these guys, especially like the ones that I've been dealing with and like the SEC and LSU, A&M, whatever, is they want to go play pro ball so they can go provide for their families, right? If you can make pro money as a college kid, sign me up. Like, what are you doing? Like, you'd be crazy not to focus on it or at least figure it out. So, but for me, as a person that's working in these buildings, right, is I think the hard part is having watched it in the past. I remember when I was at LSU and we went to a basketball game and when you're walking in to the basketball arena, LSU employees were handing you these little cutouts of Leonard Fournette's like beard and braces. And so basically you could put it over your face and it was like, yeah, like Leonard's beard with his braces on. And I was like, Leonard's not seeing any of this. Like Fournette's not seeing a dime out of this. And to me, when they introduced NIL, that was the first thing I thought of. Because I was like, Leonard should absolutely see his fair share of this, or another Leonard Fournette reference, right, and this is, I say Leonard in this whole deal, because Leonard is exactly what, like, the pinnacle of college athlete was in high school recruit, right, Leonard would walk to class, and my girlfriend saw this with her own eyeballs, Leonard would be walking from one class to another through the quad at LSU, right, it's a big public area, all the kids walk through it, whatever, to go to class to class, there's a line of dozens of adults waiting in line in the quad to have Leonard sign stuff for them. And Leonard doesn't get to see any of it, right? To me, that's where NIL is supposed to make its impact. When Leonard, the number one recruit in the country, and he plays as a freshman and he's doing all this, should Leonard Fournette have his sign on a Kane's billboard on campus? A thousand percent. Should Leonard be able to sign autographs and get the scratch for it? A thousand percent. Should Leonard be able to make money off his jersey being sold? A thousand percent. But does Leonard need to sign a multi-million dollar deal as a 17-year-old that hasn't even signed the dotted line to sign for a university yet? Maybe not. Like, that's where I get a little like, "Uh, I don't don't know. But that's kind of where I'm at on NIL. Do I see the pros? Absolutely. Should these kids make money? Absolutely. Should they do it before they play it down? I, don't I think that's where it gets a little wishy-washy for me. Yeah, I
0: mean, you have different types of NIL too. You have right. um, probably illegal inducements at some level. Mm-hmm. You, know? you have what some are calling a baseline or what Texas Tech and SMU have agreed to do, which right. is like I think 25 and 36 a piece. You have the Pancake yeah. Factory at Texas, which uh, covers the offensive line. I know they're raising more money right now. Sure. Uh, to to cover the entire team, um, and so you have all of that, and it's interesting, Cody, because uh, you know there's there's that intrinsic value that that is something like that, and then there's this you know additional value where you see a Bijan Robinson driving a Ferrari or Lamborghini. Excuse me, that's no no a Lamborghini. Lambo, Lambo. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so my my point being is that there there may be a room there for two different ways, right? And, you know, frankly, the starting quarterback on a team, his NIL should be more than the freshman quarterback that doesn't play. Right. Um, But, you know, we'll have to wait and see. This is all a new area, to your point, of where this is all headed. Talk about the portal. I want to close with this. The portal and how you saw it, because Texas Tech went – Hog wild in the portal. Yeah. <laughs> so and, and you had to be part of that. So what? How many starters did you like, did Tech end up with out of the portal?
1: Ooh, how many good guys question. in in uh, in total did you end up signing? So I want to say in the portal, I'm going to look at the depth chart now and kind of give it a scope. So I would say port like I can think off the rip right. I believe we took five, if not six, offensive linemen. In the portal. like Just I mean, offensive linemen. Correct. Lineman. Immediately. Like, I believe it was Dennis Wilburn, Michael Shanahan, Monroe Mills, Ty Buchanan, uh, Cade Briggs, and one more I cannot think of. Oh, it's the kid from uh, Western Kentucky that has the messed up shin. But I think that's that was on the offensive line alone. And we brought in multiple wide receivers. We brought in a tight end, Baylor Cup. We didn't bring in a quarterback or a running back. Um, But again, just right there on the offense, on the offense alone, we at least brought in probably two or three starters and at least six second-string guys or depth guys, right? And then on the defensive line, I mean, you look at it, Tyree Wilson was a transfer from Texas A&M. He wasn't brought in when I got in there, but he was a guy that was brought in via the portal. Vidal Scott was from Arkansas State. Miles Cole is from ULM. Those are two big-time rotational guys on the defensive front. At linebacker, we brought in Jacob Rodriguez. We brought in Dimitri Moore. That's two backups immediately. Dimitri Dimitri Moore has a starting role. I think he had a starting role. Maybe his is wishy-washy, but either way, that's a guy that plays. Um, Defensive back, Reggie Pearson, came from Wisconsin last year. Malik Dunlap came from NC State, I think a year or two years ago. I mean, you can't, if you go through the two deep at Texas Tech, half of them are transfers. And I think the thing that you're going to find with most teams, I mean, if you even look at Alabama, Alabama's got a good amount of starters that are transfers. The thing is, I think with the transfer portal, it used to be one of those deals where, If you were willing to transfer, you were looked at as soft or somebody that just couldn't stick it out and wait his turn, whatever. I mean, even let's go back to my guy, Will Levis, right? Will Levis was the backup at Penn State. They decided to ride with Sean Clifford for what feels like the ninth year in a row. And Will Levis was like, okay, like, I'm not going to get a shot to be a starter. I feel like I've worked enough and done this and that. I believe I have a shot at being a starter somewhere. I'm not going to waste my time to maybe put one year of film on tape for NFL guys to see me. I got to go be a guy somewhere. Goes to Kentucky. He's about to put two years of really good film on tape and he has the chance to be a first round draft pick. On the other end, I mean, I wish I could find the actual data number, but it was something along the lines of like, I think it was over 50% maybe maybe not at much 50% but somewhere between like 35 and 50% of fbs players that entered the transfer portal couldn't find a home for like months and again that's that's the risk reward of it some guys value themselves at a level that's maybe not realistic and that's the toughest part of it some guys are going to hit and they're going to say, oh, man, I saw that defensive end leave a school at a similar level of mine. And he was rated similarly at a high school. I can probably just hop in the portal and be good to go. And that's not the case. <laughs> it's just yeah. not the case. It, well, it, it creates just um, it's, some people want
0: to call it free agency. But right. even here, it's free agency that now is going to happen twice a year. Yeah even in the NFL it's only once a year right absolutely yeah um, and so i i find that interesting uh i think that additionally uh, as we look at uh that it's going to it's going to be it's going to be interesting because you're right about alabama right they're starting running back transfer from georgia tech they're starting yeah. um, one of their starting receivers jermaine burton georgia okay. starting offensive tackle tyler steen from vanderbilt um uh, one of their corners, elias Ricks, yep. uh, from lSU yep
1: mm-hmm. yeah
0: so I mean, you look at that, Cody, and um, you're gonna start if 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 a team is smart, would they go after the top ten players in the portal and not try to recruit the top ten best high school <laughs> players? because we're <laughs> talking about a potential yep. of uh, guys that are ready to play versus guys that are still trying to
1: Figure out what's what on a college yep, campus. 100%. And I think that's going to become an issue, especially with the NCAA potentially getting rid of scholarship caps for kids out of high school, right? The number was always 25. You could sign 25 kids out of high school. And then, you know, let's say you sign 21, you leave yourself four scholarships for transfers. Now, if the NCAA, which I believe this is something that they're passing or have passed or it's going to be in a certain amount of years, whatever, where they say, hey, take as many kids as you want, as long as you have 85 for your total scholarship roster, you could get them from anywhere. We don't care. As long as you hit your 85 scholarship number and you don't go over, we're good. It, It could be Hey, that could be the new Bill Snyder Juco play. Exactly. That's exact. and that's a phenomenal point you bring up. I was talking about this with a buddy yesterday. The biggest death blow in this whole thing is JUCOs. There, nobody even watches JUCO kids anymore. You don't even see JUCO kids hardly sign. I think if you looked right now, how many JUCO kids are committed to FBS programs, I think it's less than 15. Has to be. And it's unbelievable because there's still tons of kids that go to junior colleges that are quality players. But you have departments that are literally saying like, hey, we're going to do high school recruiting and we're going to do transfer portal recruiting. And we have to evaluate and have boards on both. And JUCO gets caught in the middle and they can't do anything about it. There's plenty of good JUCO players, but everyone's attention is fixated on the high school kids, as it should, and the transfer portal, as it should. Juco's just kind of stuck in the shadow right now. And it's it's a shame. There's a bunch of good junior college kids that can make impacts on college teams, but they're just not being put in the limelight anymore.
0: Yeah. All right. Uh, Speaking to Cody Belair, thank you so much for having the Saturday conversation with me. Uh, Cody, National Scout uh, and Evaluator for On3 after stints at LSU. Texas A&M, Baylor, and Texas Tech. Uh, Cody, would, I, I would be out to lunch if I didn't ask you who you think is going to win on Saturday between the Longhorns and Texas Tech.
1: Uh, Red Raiders guns up 1,000%. I got the <laughs> Red Raiders covering for sure and winning outright.
0: Okay. <laughs> All right. Cody Belair uh, with us. Thank you so much again. You guys have been watching on Texas football. Thanks. Thanks, Bobby.